Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are joining us for our study of God's Word. Also, our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also the Hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us as well, as well as today our men's ministry, uh, bike and motorcyclists, uh, motorcycles and bike uh, cyclists are up in San Marcos with Pastor Jay and men's ministries, and they are joining us online here today. Today, and so we welcome them. Now, I got to tell you that whenever you please one constituency, you, you find that others want to be pleased as well. And so last week I did a hockey illustration. The hockey people are always complaining to me that I don't do as many hockey illustrations as baseball, football, and basketball. So to, you know, to appease them, I did uh, a hockey illustration. Well, now everybody's coming out of the woodwork. And now the cyclists are asking me, why no bicycling uh, illustrations? Why are there? I got challenged on that this past week. Another group within the church of the Canadians. They say, you know, there's a bunch of Canadians here in our church. Why don't you talk more about Canada? So I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. Uh, please, the Canadians and the bikers. Uh, this is what we call uh, Meals on Wheels in Canada. This is what this looks like, Meals on Wheels in Canada. And so now you Canadians, we talk about you. And also you bikers, uh, we talk about you. So you guys uh, can get off my back now, okay, because uh, uh, each one. All right, now we continue with our series. That's an awesome picture. I love that. Uh, the Hope Quotient. Uh, Davies, by the way, 945 guy, said that. People say, where do you get all this material? I said, I have thousands of the best research team ever. There, You guys are always sending me the best stuff. The Hope Quotient. Uh, we've been talking about this the last few weeks since Easter. Uh, we Each week, I talk about the fact that there's an IQ, your intelligent quotient, which is helpful in life. And then now, after the bestseller, New York Times bestseller a few years ago, on EQ, emotional quotient, how that is even more helpful in the workplace and in getting ahead and in success in life than your IQ is your EQ. How do you get along with other people? How do you play in the sandbox? How do you work well and get along with other people? But even most important of all, might just be something the Bible has been teaching us for thousands of years that contemporary researchers are just discovering to be true is our HQ, our hope quotient. And that is where, uh, depending on whether you have your hope quotient high, and that's what we've been trying to build it here uh, over the last few weeks, build your HQ, the same circumstances, two different people in the same circumstances, one will be crushed by those circumstances, and one will go beyond those circumstances. Now, what's the key? The key is your hope quotient, why one person overcomes their circumstances, actually uses them to greater advantage, and another person is crushed by those where the other person uh, stands up against them. Now, this is true in our individual lives. It's also true for our church life as well. I love this quote by Mark Twain. It's one of my favorites. We'll put it up there. The two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day you find out why. Two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day, I would add in, the day you're born again. Maybe there's three most important days, the day you're born, the day you're born again, and the day that you discover out why, what your purpose is, what God's plan is for uh, your life. It increases your hope quotient when you know what that purpose is, what that plan is. It's true for our church as well. When a church knows what God's purpose for that church is. Uh, Tom Stanton right here on the front row. He is uh, one of our super deacons. He is 82 years old and still on fire for Jesus. Tom, wave your hand right here. Let's hear it for Tom Stanton. Oh, he won't do it. Tom Stanton right here, man. He's the man. He's the man. 
still going strong, on fire for Jesus. He comes up to me at a meeting on Tuesday night. He says, oh, Glenn, you're going to like this. You're going to like this. I said, what is it? He says, I've been reading some old constitutions. Have you? And I'm like, oh, boy, well, you know, what, what's coming here? You know, what Tom, Tom sleeps with old church constitutions under his pillow. That's, uh, that's what he does. That's his form of entertainment. He comes up. He says, I found a constitution from the dime of Dr. Ted Cole, legendary pastor here for 28 years. How many of you remember Dr. Ted Cole? Okay, almost all the 830 service, not as many at this service. He says, here's a constitution for the time of Dr. Ted. The second page looks just like this. And then if you focus in on the purpose side, here's the purpose of our church during this time. The purpose of this church shall be the advancement of the kingdom of God through the bringing of people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the development of Christian character. It shall foster through its programming experiences toward this end, as well as assuming a redemptive servant role within and without the church in which it shall seek to minister to people in their need in the total context of their lives. Now we shorten that today by calling it uh, finding, helping people to find their purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. That's really just a Reader's Digest version of that longer paragraph-long purpose statement. Or you could put it informally this way, as I often do. God's plan and purpose for your life is for you to go to heaven and take your oikos with you. Oikos, the Greek word uh, for household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. If you want to know what God's purpose is for your life, it's to go to heaven and take your oikos along with you there. Now, God has given us some tools to help us fulfill his plan and purpose for our life. And they are called spiritual gifts. And that's why today we're going to talk about how to play to your strengths. That is the key to motivation in life, to fulfillment in life, to getting to the end of your life and knowing that you fulfill God's plan for it. The, the key to having as few regrets as possible at the end of your life is you figure out what your spiritual gifts are, you figure out what your strengths are, and you build your life around those things. Romans 12, verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Uh, Leo Bascaglia said, your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. Now here's the definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability that enables the Christian to function in God's family with ease, efficiency, and a sense of accomplishment. Now, there are several major passages on spiritual gifts in the Bible. The biggest one is three chapters long, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. We're not going to read all of them, but here's a portion from that. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, Paul writes here, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's a tragedy to go through your whole Christian life and be uninformed about spiritual gifts uh, generally and specifically your particular spiritual gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The moment you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you receive a combination of spiritual gifts. Now, if you'd like to know how to do that, right here, right now, if you look in the upper left-hand corner of the next page, a couple there in your study outline, after the study outline, upper left-hand corner, 
you'll see three steps to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a little suggested prayer there, and there's nothing magical in the exact wording of that prayer. It just simply summarizes what the Bible says you need to do to open up your heart to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if you've ever done that in the past, or if you'd like to do it today, when you open up your heart to Christ, make him your Savior, the King, the Lord of your life, instantly, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. And, and you also, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, in a few minutes, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And you're very welcome to show outwardly what you have committed yourself to inwardly by taking the bread, which represents his body for us on the cross, and the, uh, the cup that represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins on the cross. And if you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or you'd like to pray it today, you are so welcome to receive the Lord's Supper to show outwardly what you have inwardly committed yourself to. This could be your day. And at any point, if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart during this message or during the sharing of the Lord's Supper, simply pray that prayer, the cry of your heart to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and then you'll become part of God's family, you'll receive spiritual giftedness, and show that you're part of that family by receiving the Lord's Supper with us in just a couple of minutes. Now, another major passage is Romans chapter 12. For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, now I believe today that's not so much foretelling the future as it is speaking the truth of God boldly and clearly. And I'm not just talking in sermons. I'm talking one-on-one. 99.99% of the spiritual gifts are exercised one-on-one. They're exercised in small groups. They're done uh, one-on-one with another believer, with a non-believer that you're sharing Christ with. And so most of them are done in that way. And so the gift of prophecy is when you share God's truth in a loving yet firm, straightforward, clear matter. That is, I believe, the gift of prophesying. Then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I believe that all Christians are called to do all of these things, but you'll be particularly gifted in certain areas. I I like to put it this way. All of us are called to do all these things, and that's the black and white of the Christian life. But for you in your area of spiritual giftedness, that's in living color. For example, let's work backwards through the list. If your gift is the gift of mercy, you'll walk into a room and everybody will look black and white and then all of a sudden, that person that has a broken heart will light up like a Christmas tree in living color. And if you have the gift of mercy, you will be drawn to that person with a broken heart to minister to their needs. Uh, Moving up down the list, giving. Everybody's called to tithe as followers of Christ. But some people are particularly gifted at, at making money and giving over and above the tithe. And they find their greatest joy in strategically giving to get ministries moving and launching and encouraged. And so they have a particular gifted. We're all called to give, but there are some that are spiritually gifted in that particular area. Encouragement. Uh, everybody's called to be encouraging to each other in the Christian life. But if you have the spiritual gift of encouragement, you walk into a room, the discouraged person like lights up in living color, like a Christmas tree, and you're drawn to that discouragement, to discouraged person because your gift of encouragement is in, in energized as it is drawn to that person to minister to them. 
Here's some more that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles. Now, I believe today the apostolic gift is starting anything new. If you start a new uh, school, if you start a new organization, if you start a new church like Josh Hoosman, Josh and Lisa Hoosman went up to Indianapolis, started a church, and now there's 700 on Easter Sunday there and bought up borders as I was reporting back last week after being there. That's the apostolic gift. But I also believe if you start a Bible study, if you start a new ministry, if you say, hey, nobody's doing this particular thing, I think I'll start it. If that's starting something new, I believe that's the apostolic gift. Uh, The prophets, as I talked about, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I count 27 different spiritual gifts. If you include everything that I believe could be a spiritual gift, I count 27 within the Bible. But I believe that it, that it goes beyond that. And, and different Bible teachers and scholars have different views on this. It could be a different percentage of them. Everybody's utterly unique. You are completely unique. Uh, maybe it's that your 32.3% mercy gift and, and uh, 22.053% encouragement gift and, and uh, 11.001 uh, serving gift. And everybody is like a unique combination for the particular assignment God has given you. He does unique combinations of those spiritual gifts. Or uh, many Bible scholars believe that those 27 are just a partial list. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's meant to be a partial list. These are examples of the spiritual gifts. And maybe there's hundreds, if not thousands, of spiritual gifts and that are unique to each uh, person. Now, I hope I've gotten you interested in discovering what your spiritual gift is. And if so, if you look there in your study outline, you'll see where it says spiritual gifts assessment. Are you interested in discovering your spiritual gifts? And then you can go to our website. And you know what? If this sermon is boring, go there right now. You know, I think it would be more important for you to discover your spiritual gift than to hear me talk about it for another 20 minutes, all right? So you can just go there right now if you want to on your phone and just take that spiritual gifts test, that inventory to begin to discover how God might be gifting you. Next page of your study outline. Uh, Here's the list of things mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4. And by the way, in about a minute, I'm going to have you uh, get, use a pencil or a pen. So if you could just, I'm just going to give you a little warning. If you could find a pencil or a pen or one of those little pencils that are there in front of you in the book rack, if there's enough of those around, to grab one of those, and you're going to need a pencil or a pen. Everybody's going to need that in, in just a minute. So I want to give you a warning. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. By the way, this doesn't have anything to do with the message, but what a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. Uh, We wound each other in the Christian life. We need to forgive each other. We hurt each other. We misunderstand each other. And it says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another. 
Now, some people have the spiritual gift of hospitality more than others. We're all called to be hospitable to each other, but some people are particularly gifted uh, in that way. I personally have the spiritual gift of inhospitality, okay? It's, uh, uh, Kimberly has it more than me, but, you know, it's just a stretch for me. I, I love ministering outside the home, but inside the home, it's a little bit of a haven uh, for me. So poor Kimberly, she's saying, can't we have friends over? And I'm like, well, maybe in three years or something like that, you know. Um, and, and one at a time and for 15 minutes. And, you know, she, you know poor, poor Kimberly, she's always trying to get me to be more hospitable. And, uh, you know, some people, you know who you are. They could, I could call you up this afternoon and say, hey, I need to bring 30 people over in two hours. You'd be, bring them on. I don't care what the house looks like. I'll order pizza. Fine. And others of you, you know, if it's two people coming over, you need three months advance warning, you know, in order to do that. And so some people are particularly, we're all to be hospitable, but some are particularly gifted in that. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, and it's not just talking about sermons, it's talking about Anytime you talk to another person, think of this. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Boy, that'll change your conversation, won't it? Not just sermons. We're talking any conversation you have with anybody, a colleague at work or one of your children. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, and all God's family said, amen. Now, play to your strengths with the uh, 15 minutes or so we have left. Let's go through seven reasons for playing to your strength. Reason number one is discovering your God-given gifts helps you maximize your potential. Discovering and implementing your God-given gifts helps you to maximize your potential. Now's where you need the pencil or the pen. In that big blank space, see how in the study outline I gave you a big blank space there, I want you to sign your name. So just, just sign it like you sign it on a check or whatever, a contract. Just, just sign your name. Just take a moment. It'll just take you a second because it's so normal for you to do it. Just sign your name, okay? Now, when you finish signing your name, I want you to switch the pencil or pen to the other hand. And now sign your name with your other hand. If you're left-handed with your right hand, if you're right-handed with your, your, your left hand. Okay, go ahead, go ahead and sign. It's going to take you a little longer in order to do that. All right. Um, my handwriting, by the way, is just horrible, even with my correct hand. My poor assistant, Bev Mowdy, just, she's finally learned to interpret it after all these years. By the way, if you're a visitor here, uh, if you turn in that Connect card that Greg was talking about, you're going to get a nice letter from us, and then I'm going to write a nice note to you at the end. You won't have any idea what it says, okay? But I just want to tell you right now, it says something nice, okay? It is, it's going to be something like, so glad to have you here. Hope you'll come back. It doesn't say, sad you're here and never come back again. Okay, it doesn't say anything like that. It's going to be something nice. Here's what my handwriting looks like. Here's, here's my signature on the top. I took forever carefully writing that, okay? And then there's my one with my other hand, all right? And I'm sure, how many of you found the exact same thing to be, uh, to be the same thing? Well, the more you can build your life, now you got to do the others. Sometimes you just got to write with the other hand. You got to do 
things for it. My, my daughter, Abby, says that's why they call it a job. Okay, she had a mentor, uh, Gail Gouge. She goes here, the 945 service, and Gail was her mentor and said, you know what, Abby, that's why they call it a job. There are certain things you just do. Those are the ones of the signature on the bottom. But the more you can build your life around your natural inclinations, like the one on the top, the more you can do that, the more you'll maximize uh, your uh, potential. There are certain things you need to do. When I serve, I'm the lower one right there, okay? When I do certain other things in the Christian life, I'm on the lower one. But when I do things like encouragement, I'm the upper signature, that comes more naturally to me than, than when hospitality and service, they're the lower signature. But encouragement and teaching, that's the upper signature. The more you can build your life around what you're naturally gifted at, the more you can maximize your potential. Uh, reason number two, discovering your God-given gifts helps you discover your purpose. Uh, we live about 28,708 days. That's what the average American will live. 28,708 days. Doesn't it make sense to take at least one day to figure out what your spiritual gifts are and what God's plan and purpose is for your life? Because when you do what you're gifted at, you will feel God's pleasure. And when you um, do the thing he's created you to do, you will fulfill his purpose in your life. Is it for you to fill in the blanks? When I do what? I feel God's pleasure. We've been talking about that Sunday nights with your work. When you do what within your work, do you feel his pleasure? When you exercise which of your spiritual gifts do you feel his pleasure? Discovering your God-given gifts helps you to discover your purpose. And then reason number three, discovering your God-given gifts helps free you from insecurity and inferiority. You realize that God only made one you. And when you fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life, you are absolutely essential to God's master plan uh, for, for the world, for human history. I love this story. A revival took place in a North Carolina tent back in 1934. Two 14-year-old boys walked up to the tent, looked around, heard the music, and quickly identified it as a church service. They turned around and started to leave when an usher approached them and said, young men, you might like this. We have two seats right over there. He led them to two open seats. A little-known speaker named Mordecai Ham spoke that night. A man who never got a book deal, a television program, or an invitation to the White House. Nobody names their kids after this guy. At the end of his sermon, he gave an invitation for people to give their lives to Christ, both of those boys went forward and became Christians. One of them was a tall, skinny kid named Billy Graham. His best friend, Grady Wilson, accompanied him. The pair later launched the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, through which Billy has spoken to more people about Jesus Christ than anybody in human history. Grady Wilson served alongside Billy for 50 years organizing the entire process. The world impact of those skinny teenagers was possible all because of one guy who almost no one has heard of. No, I'm not thinking of Mordecai Ham. I'm thinking of the usher who encouraged two disinterested teens to attend a church service. We don't even know his name. 
that usher had skills. He had spiritual giftedness. God had gifted him to use those skills. And when he did, he changed the course of human history. Never think your gift, your area of service is unimportant. Never do you need suffer from feelings of inferiority or, or, or insecurity. When you discover your gift and when you put into action, you know you're fulfilling an essential part of God's master plan for human history. Reason number four, discovering your God-given gifts helps keep you motivated and encouraged. Now, you can burn out doing the thing you were made to do, but it's much harder to do so. Uh, you tend to get re-energized. I mean, if you write with the wrong hand, you will quickly get tired. But if you write with the right hand, you can write for a much longer time. And the same thing is true. When you're in your area of giftedness, you will find yourself to be encouraged and motivated. Reason number five, discovering your God-given gifts is the best way to change the world. And reason number six, discovering your God-given gifts frees you from the fear of failure. I love this quote by Thomas Edison, who took 2,000 attempts to create the uh, light bulb. He said, I never failed once. It just happened to be a 2,000-step process. Isn't that great? <laughs> never failed, just happened to be a 2,000-step process. And the same thing is true. When you're using your spiritual gift, you never fail. You're just simply, God's using that as a process for you to hone it, to discover it, uh, to be more effective in it. And then reason number seven. Discovering your God-given gifts lowers stress and increases joy. Because the more and more you operate in your area of giftedness, the less you have to feel guilty about operating in your area of non-giftedness. It reduces stress and it increases joy. If I were to make a list of everything I am not good at, it would be a long, long list. I just took about 15 seconds to start doing it a couple of days ago. I wrote down art, architecture, Astronomy, athletic trainer, astronaut, accountant, uh, aviation. And those are just brought to you by the letter A. It would just go on and on and on. Uh, what I would write that I'm not good at, but I don't have to stress about that. I can have the joy of simply trying to build my life about that thing that God has gifted me in. Four steps to find and use your gifts. Number one, decide to do it. Number two, discover what it is. Maybe take those passages that I gave you and uh, just kind of prayerfully look over them this week in your quiet time. Spend some time alone with God praying over them. Uh, take that spiritual gifts assessment uh, there on our website. Um, talk to other people. Say, what do you think my area of giftedness is? And then number three, you begin to develop it. And over trial and error, you'll find out that you are effective sometimes when you're serving and not as effective in other times as you develop it. The first, my first three years in college, every Sunday morning, I get up early, uh, drive about 20 miles. Um, you know, it was Chicago, Illinois, so I'd scrape off the windshield, get off the ice, drive through the snow, 20 miles to a, a town called Aurora, Illinois. There was a tiny little Mexican-American church there. The adult services were in Spanish, but they wanted their kids taught in English. And so for my first three years of college, freshman, sophomore, junior year, I'd drive that 20 miles every Sunday morning, and my pulpit was, uh, was the front seat of a van, a, a minivan, a, van, a church van. And I'd sit on the front seat with my back to the steering wheel and teach about 10 or 11, 12 or 13-year-olds, teach them the Bible. 
And, and that was where I kind of could begin to figure out, you know, what was my area of giftedness, what was not my area of giftedness. So you develop it over time. And then number four, you deploy it. And when you deploy it, uh, you find this rich reservoir of effectiveness that you never knew existed. Here's another great story. Forgive me, I got several of them that I want to read to you. Uh, back in 1915, Ira Yates, uh, here's the guy, owned a dry goods store in Rankin, Texas, that did about $5,000 worth of business each month. A Picos County rancher named Thomas Hickson, Hickox, Hicknox, uh, noted the store's modest success and proposed that Yates trade the store for his 16,640-acre river ranch way out in northern Pecos County. A friend who once owned the property warned Yates against the trade. He said, even buffalo know better than to cross the Pecos. A crow would not fly over it, and it's not worth the taxes. Yates made the trade anyway. Years later, Yates' granddaughter explained that while her grandpa didn't know beans about groceries, he did know ranching, and he wanted to get his hands on this large parcel of land. For a very long decade, Ira and his wife Anna made a hard scrabble living off the desolate ranch. Desperate for a way to pay mounting debts, Ira approached the Transcontinental Oil Company in San Angelo about drilling some test wells on his property. Experts had declared no oil could be found west of the Picos River, but on the off chance of finding something, the company drilled four wells. On October 28, 1926, Yates became an instant millionaire. One of the wells produced a gusher that sent crude oil hundreds of feet into the air, just like in the movies. The first five wells together produced more than 9,000 barrels of crude a day, more than could be stored or moved. Oil production peaked in 1929 when the Yates oil field shipped out 41 million barrels. This worthless ranch produced its one billionth barrel in 1985. Today, oil continues to flow from the Yates oil field, one of the largest reserves in the world. For more than a decade, Ira and Ann Yates labored to scratch out a meager existence, constantly worried about how to pay their bills, all because they had no idea what lay just under their feet. God says, in essence, I created you. I've put some priceless things down deep inside of you. Take the time to discover them and get them out and they will make all the difference to your future, to those around you, and to the world. Okay. Uh, this last week, uh, Kimberly had bought at an antique store, wasn't all that expensive, but bought a, a, a dresser that we needed for one of our rooms. And so she and I were hauling it up into the room, and we pulled the drawers out before we were going to move it up there and started to put the drawers in, and out fluttered a check for $1,000. Um, it's from March... Uh, February 17th, 1988. What does that make it? 27 years old. We'll mail it. I just want to use it as an illustration. We'll mail it to the people tomorrow. Who knows if they're still there? Peter Torrey, our executive pastor, said we could still try to cash it as a church. That's how <laughs> shameless Peter is, you know. But, uh, uh, um, but here, these people, $1,000 check, uncashed. And the same thing is true with our spiritual gifts if we never discover them, if we never put them into action. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift. In the Greek, the Greek word charis uh, carries with it the same English words, joy, gifts, and grace. 
They all come from the one Greek word, charis, joy, gifts, and grace. And it is absolutely essential uh, that you discover and put into action whatever the spiritual gift is uh, that God has given to you. Uh, one final story that uh, I want to share with you uh, now, if, if I can find it here in front of me. Here it is. A Brit named Jack Harris lost his elderly wife and took up jigsaw puzzles to occupy his mind. Over time, he chose more and more complex puzzles. He finally tackled a 5,000-piece puzzle depicting a 150-year-old painting of the return of the prodigal son. He worked on the puzzle for hours each day for more than seven years. When he was 86 years old, he was finally ready to finish the puzzle, 4,999 pieces already in place, and he couldn't find piece number 5,000. The only thing he could imagine was that somehow that piece had fallen off the table and the dog had eaten it. Jack was distraught. The puzzle was no longer being manufactured. But when the company that created the puzzle heard about his problem, they crafted a one-of-a-kind piece and Jack finished the job. You are that jigsaw puzzle piece. You are that piece of God's puzzle. You may think, oh, Billy Graham, he's got like the big pieces in, in, in the puzzle. No, your piece is just as important. God's master plan for human history, his, his purpose for the universe will not be fulfilled unless you put in your piece of God's puzzle, discovering your gifts and deploying them in areas of service to change your world for Christ. Roy Lesson writes, just think, you're here not by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. He compares you to no one else. You are one of a kind. You lack nothing that his grace can't give you. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. God needs and desires you to play to your strengths and to fulfill the plan that he has for your life. Let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.